0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History, your host. I'm joined around the table by guys from Go Wild and GumBroker.com. Today, we are talking about real pop culture firearms um, and how they have driven the interest in guns. Um, And we've got some, some interesting factoids about Dirty Harry's gun that he used. And it there's something about it that might not be quite what you thought it was. The so lie. The lies. <laughs> yes. So if you're feeling lucky, well, are you, punk? Gentlemen, are we feeling lucky? Always. Always? Always lucky? Good. Good.
1: Turn a little optimist over here. Are you? Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. My wife says I'm a pessimist. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm just a realist. So <laughs> you, <know." laughs> you and I have a lot in common. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, one of the guns that we want to talk about today, before we get to Dirty Harry, because, I mean, Dirty Harry's badass, but there, we want to talk about another badass with movie stuff. Uh, and so we show this gun here, and, and if I show you this gun here, gentlemen, who who do we think of with this gun?
1: I mean, I know from my childhood of playing Goldeneye. Yeah. But it's a, there's a fun twist to that, too. Because some people may not realize that's the same gun, but that—that's my answer.
2: Is I would have to say Goldeneye. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Even more so than the movies. Yeah. the yeah. Video game. Yeah. That was
0: N64. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about James Bond. Yes, exactly. And so the firearm is, of course, the iconic Walther PPK, uh, which is you know everyone knows that as James Bond's gun, uh, but it's got an interesting history. You know, it, it predates James Bond. By a lot, thirty years. Right, exactly. So it it had a long and storied history before James Bond, you know, ever came to be. Um, So so it's it's an interesting gun, and I I think that it's one of those guns that, unlike others from World War II, um, it it manages to escape its checkered World War II history, uh, in a sense, if you will. You know, there are some other guns used by that one country over there that will forever be pigeonholed as, you know, Oh, that was the gun used by those guys, right? Well, they used these two. Um, but, but this gun lives on as James Bond's gun. Uh, and I think it's really neat. The, the pop culture popularity and phenomenon that, that this gun was able to overcome that um, and, and be a, a positive icon mm-hmm. instead of a negative one.
2: So, bond's british and i was just thinking well what else could they have used and i'm trying to think of a british manufacturer of handguns that's i guess still around today or well, who would be the biggest
0: i mean like at that point i you know bond's gonna be like carrying an enfield revolver or a <laughs> webley
3: or a webley big old honking yeah. webley yeah yeah for, for small semi-automatics great britain really didn't have much an option so yeah i mean the, does anyone know what gun this replaced in
1: james bond's holster
2: I do, because we were talking about it earlier. It was <laughs> you, a Beretta. Yes. Uh, some, something cat.
1: You really missed the chance to be smart. That's why we give you
3: notes.
2: <laughs> That's why I'm dumb, because I missed <laughs> the chance to D- be smart. Dan dumb. <laughs> Dan <laughs> dumb. Dan strong. Um,
3: do you remember what caliber that Beretta was? 25. Yes. And when uh, when Q, the quartermaster, came in to confiscate Bond's Beretta, uh, handed him his PPK chamber in 32 ACP which he said hit like a brick through a plate glass window which I think today would make most of us laugh really really hard I don't listen, I don't want to get shot by a 32 but uh, yeah, brick no. through a plate glass window
0: yeah'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm of the opinion that all rounds regardless of caliber if they're incoming they have the right away right you know <laughs> I don't want to get hit by anything even a 22 short uh, but yeah I, I would not describe the 32 auto. Uh, as as anything close to a brick. It would be as laughable as that one politician who said an AR was as heavy as three loaded moving boxes. I'm you know, like, what the hell kind of AR are you holding? What unit <laughs> of measurement is that? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Like, that's a little backwards, you know? Like, I know we measure things in freedom units here, yeah. but that's... That's a little weird, you know?
3: Great writer, but Ian Fleming might not have been the ballistics expert that, uh, say, uh, a Jack Carr would be. (laughs) And and I read that
2: he took feedback that someone wrote to him about James Bond's gun and says that's too weak of a gun. And he goes, okay, well, what should he do? And some fan of the book was like, oh, maybe this Beretta or, I mean, this uh, Walter." And he's like, all right, I'll write it in. So it's kind of cool that he took the fan feedback on it. It is neat. I didn't know that. Um, So that's still made today.
0: Yep. Walther mm-hmm. still makes the But it's the PPK. not in that caliber. You can get them in a few different calibers. Um, obviously, 380 is the most popular. Um, but I think you can get them in 32, right? 32. you used to be able to. Anyway. And 22 long. And 22 long. So yeah, you can still get a brand new Walther PPK in 380 you know so if you want the you know if you want a brand new version of james bond's gun you can you can get it now this particular example uh dates to the first half of 1939 so this is even a a pre-world war ii example with the the modeled bakelite grips which is you know like an early plastic if you will um but yeah it's an iconic gun that just keeps chugging along, you know, uh, and and it's got that pop culture staying power, you know. Are are there guns that that are made today that are smaller and more powerful, have a higher magazine capacity? Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if you ask someone to, you know, well, well, man, tell me, you know, what what's a popular pocket-sized three eighty? Doesn't matter what the new hotness is that just came out or whatever it may be. You know, people know the PPK. Yeah. It's just it's had that iconic staying power, and most of it's thanks to James Bond. Frankly, the gun would have gone out of production
3: decades ago if it wasn't for James Bond. I mean, yeah, it's it's in thirty two. It's not bad to shoot three eighty. It gets a little awkward. It's nasty for slide bite. Just the, the small beaver tail it's got. Mm-hmm. You can almost tell. You can always tell you've been shooting a PPK during the day because you're going to have two grooves cut to your hand right there. It's just you know, a given um the ergonomics have always been you know there's better options but again it's you can't pick it up without doing that whole sean connery pose thing you just you
1: have to
0: what are you talking about
1: (laughs) (laughs) you start introducing yourself as
0: metish logan metish
1: you know the uh, the 64 controllers were awkward, but I
0: never got the slide bite. <laughs> 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 you know, so this oh, is a pre 64. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it was. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and I guess it's a good thing that at least you know when Ian Fleming was writing the Bond books and stuff that that DNA technology wasn't there <laughs> because if James Bond had gotten bit, you know, by, uh, by by the slide, he might be dropping some DNA around. Who knows what they might have been able to do or or how they might have been able to control him with something if they had some of his DNA and knew how to test it, right? But it is
1: super interesting that this gun, you know, we were talking a little bit about this uh just before we hit record here of of it did have a notoriety within the SS. Yes. And and the Bond movies really rebranded the gun. I mean, to your point, kept it alive probably. Uh, for its popularity, but can you talk a little bit about that and, and some of the association with the gun and, and its World War II history?
0: Sure. Yeah. So the gun's design itself predates World War II. It actually dates to the early 1930s, um, and so it it has you know an, an almost decade long history even before it becomes associated with the Nazi war machine, right? Um, and and it's it is interesting during World War II. Uh, There were a number of different contracts for different German officers and for different uh, branches of the German military that had they had different requirements for the same gun. Right. And one of the requirements for the SS in, in the I think they did two or three different contract runs. But one of the requirements was that the magazines had to bear the serial number of the gun. Uh, and so you would have two matching magazines. And uh, I think they did them two different ways. On one, they, they put the serial number on the spine. And one, I think they did it on the floor plate. Um, and I, I picked this particular gun up, you know, as surplus. Uh, I bought it just having seen pictures on the Internet because I was like, oh, it comes with, you know, a period holster and two period mags. And when I got it, I noticed that one of the mags had a serial number on the gun. Well, that's unusual and so I started doing some digging and discovered that the magazine uh, is actually uh, from one of the SS contracts um, which is fascinating to me uh, a little creepy as Brad yeah, you said before yeah. we before we started you know it's it is it's a
1: to, to think about the history of what that gun likely saw mm-hmm. uh, you know if you've done any Research or or studied mm-hmm. the SS just the SS specifically yes. of of the chaos that they could uh, you know kind of. Partake in. Yeah, it's wild to think about what that magazine has been through.
2: Mm-hmm. But it didn't match the serial number of the gun.
0: Correct. Yeah, yeah. the the magazine doesn't match the gun. So I have uh, believe me I keep my eye out. I know <laughs> I have the serial number from the mag written down, and I, I keep an eye out trying to find because it would be so neat to be able to. I mean, it, macabre is all hell. Don't get me wrong, right? But it would be really interesting uh, from a historical standpoint and from a collector yeah, standpoint I mean, to pair the gun with its magazine after eighty some years. Yeah. You know, would be really interesting. But but again, you know, thank God for Ian Fleming and James mm-hmm. Bond that we can we can have a more lighthearted discussion about the PPK, you know, because of James Bond and we're not having to talk about Germans so constantly. Anybody
1: from, you know, that that like us grew up playing playing I'm really more of a golden I'm familiar with this gun more from the Golden Eye games. Um, but if you don't know which gun we're talking about, the golden gun from goldeneye is what they call a pp7 and you know i'm assuming they had to rebrand it because they didn't have the licensing just like uh you know same same reason michael jordan wasn't an nba jam right <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> 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 but uh you know i thought it was interesting uh when i, I kind of saw that we were going to talk about this i was like oh i think that and i looked it up and it's a different name mm-hmm. and i was like well that has to be it, because I mean, you can see that gun, and you know that is right. the iconic golden gun of GoldenEye, right? The yep. one, one, the one kill shot. If it, for anybody that uh, didn't play the game, or if you have forgotten. I feel like if you played that game, you were probably like me, and it was, like, religious. <laughs> I would go to my friend's house, and we would wake up at, like, 6 a.m. after <laughs> after a, a, a spending the night, and it's like you just start cranking on it until mom makes breakfast, right? Right. Uh, so, so I think anybody would recognize that if you played that as a kid. Absolutely. Um, even if you didn't watch the movies. Yep.
0: Yeah, and, and, and if you know the gun only from the video games, you know, I, I would encourage you to go down to your local gun store or gun range or whatever and actually put your hands on one because contrary to popular belief, in real life, the lines are actually really smooth. They're not nearly as pixelated mm. as they are in the game. Well, that's like, interesting,
1: yeah. especially when you play a 64 now on like an HD. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. <so> <laughs> <laughs> it's like stretched out.
2: <laughs> well, my childhood remembers this differently. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's
3: probably an interesting point there, Logan. This is probably the oldest design you can find in most rental gun counters because it's it's such a popular gun for, you know, people who come into the gun through either the movies or the video game. Mm-hmm.
0: You know. yeah, very interesting. So so that's cool that that all of us sitting around the table, you know, even though it's James Bond related, we've all got that connection more from the video games, and especially for myself, I'm not a video gamer. I, I I've never been a fan of video games. I don't own a console. I never have. But I remember playing GoldenEye on N sixty four at yeah. friends' houses because, like, that was just—it's what you did, you know. I was like, "Well, I want to hang out with my friends. I guess I'm playing some GoldenEye," <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but 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 yeah. So it's very neat that the that the PPK has that that pop culture connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it is far from the only firearm uh, that has been kept alive thanks to movies and fictional characters. Uh, and, and if there is one gun that is more iconic from the movies than the PPK, what would it be, gentlemen? Go ahead and make my day. You feel lucky? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Punk?
2: Have we shot seven podcasts today? Or, I don't know. Or, or five podcasts or I six
0: podcasts? Just <laughs> to tell you the truth,
3: and all, in all <laughs> the excitement, I lost count myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: got
0: to know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. It's the Smith & Wesson Model 29 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. Rolls right off the tongue. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clint makes it sound so easy when he does it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, th- there is there is probably no more iconic movie handgun than the Smith & Wesson Model 29. I mean, Dirty Harry Callahan is just... <sighs> what, what can you say, you know? I mean, Dirty Harry is awesome, but... But that gun in the movie, I mean, it's it has kept the popularity of that gun for more than half a century. I mean, that movie saved
3: that gun at from the extinction. Time. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, Smith introduced it. What about eight or nine years
0: before that, maybe? Uh, well, if, if, if even that far. Oh, far, far before that. The 44? Because uh, the movie comes out, in, what, in 70 or 71. Okay. Um, and, and the design, you know, they were making that before it became the Model 29. I think in 1956 or 7 is when Smith changed to the model number designation and it became the 29. But they were making the 44 Magnum before that. So, uh, you know, the gun had already been in, in production for a handful of decades, you know, at least probably at least 30 years, I guess I'm bad at math. That's why I do this and not that, but, um, but more than a year or two, you know, if
3: I remember the story, right, the model 29 wasn't selling well. It was really, you know, they were languishing on shelves. They were very expensive because they were large guns. They had to be very heavily built for the 44 and Smith was considering discontinuing it. Then Mm -hmm. this movie came out and all of a sudden they were in a multi-year back order for them.
0: Yep. And, and it, continued for a long time that folks were having a hard time finding those guns, you know, and now the Model 29 is part of what Smith calls their classic line, which includes, you know, the Model 19, the Model 10, of course, the Model 29. And and you can buy a brand new Model 29, um, but but there's, and, you know, and they're in all different barrel lengths. You can get them, you know, shorties in two and three, uh, two inch, three inch, you know, four inch. Um, you know, six and a half is what they used for some of the filming, uh, in the movie. They also used one, uh, when they wanted that really big effect, that long barrel, the eight and three eights. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that's the truly, really iconic yep. gun. But if you've ever had one of those in your hand, you're like, my God, there is no way in hell I'm <laughs> carrying a revolver yeah. with an eight and three eighths inch barrel in a shoulder holster all day long. I you my know? appendix carry mine. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, your poor
3: wife. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, um, which one did they have at the NRA Museum? That's an eight and three 8 That's one, an right eight
0: now. and three 8 inch. Yep. yep. So um, yeah. So the, yeah, when I in a previous life I was the firearms specialist at the NRA National Firearms Museum, and I've got a display of Hollywood guns in there, and, and one of the guns that they have in the collection um, is a Smith and Wesson Model Twenty Nine, eight and three 8 inch barrel that was actually used by. Clint Eastwood in the film, and that's because the gun is in the collection of John Milius. Is that one uh, a prop gun that's been modified, or is it, is it actual? It's actual. It, it was a firing, uh, working firearm. Yes, yep. and yep, it is a working firearm uh, that was used in the film. Um, and in fact, there's an interesting story about uh, you know real guns, uh, real guns versus the you know rubber duck guns mm-hmm. uh, that that are meant to be thrown around. Um, there was a story I had heard uh, that at one point. Um, Dirty Harry is supposed to drop the gun, I think. And, um, he was supposed to have had one of the, the fake prop guns in his hand, but he had the real one and he dropped it. And so it got all banged up and, you know, so, um, that's why, you know, if they're filming movies, they've got multiples of the gun. Um, but that was a problem, uh, Mm -hmm. early on with them was, was trying to find enough model 29s. How does that,
1: how does that impact the value? Like all all this uh, this this memorabilia comes to market. I mean, is there is there generally the one that was shown the most has the most value, or do they all kind of hold the same weight uh, if they're if they're real guns or prop guns? Like, what's that impact on the value?
0: That's a good question. Um, obviously, you know, if you can prove that a gun is is know had screen time and and was in the hands of you know the most famous actor for you know mm-hmm. whatever gun it may be those are obviously going to command a premium um you know even the rubber duck guns yeah, those are going to command money but obviously less than than what the real firearm yeah. would be um but there's collector value in in all model 29s um and 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 a lot of it is driven by the age of the gun and a lot of it is driven by the barrel length of the gun. So still to this day, um, you will pay a premium uh, for a Model Twenty Nine with an eight and three inch barrel compared to one you know with the shorter barrel, like with the six inch, which is was still used in the film. Um, but it is a shorter gun, and I'm sure, Alan, you've probably got data that that backs that up from what you guys see coming across the auction block.
3: Yeah, we do. You know, the eight and three eights obviously draws the premium. Blued, they did them in stainless as well, but yep. blued, of course, is the with the walnut stocks. That's the one you got to have. Um, that bo- that the pistol on its own can go anywhere depending on condition from twenty six hundred to thirty five hundred. If you start adding on things like the original box or paperwork that goes with it, and it just continues to climb from there. Um, sadly finding screen use stuff is harder and harder because most studios refuse to give provenance in those things anymore. That's for political reasons. They don't want to be associated with a a gun that gets sold out. So most of the, the prop guns either live in prop houses forever or end up chopped into pieces. So so older movie guns. That's kind of your, your limited supply anymore where, you know, it's like you're never going to see a movie used John wick gun out there because the studio just isn't going to go for that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that's definitely your premium. Eight and three inch, orange front insert barrel, blued finish, walnut stocks. Um, if you got boxes and papers, it's going to cost you the most.
2: Yep. So are they still making the gun new?
3: Yes, now?
0: absolutely. Yep. They're, it's called the Model 29 Classic, and I think the MSRP on a brand new one is like 14.99. Yep. So what you're probably looking at about 1,200 bucks street price yep. for you know for one. Um, but yeah, you can you can still go get a brand new Model 29 when in reality. You know, Smith would have discontinued that gun half a century ago, um, but now you've got a 50-year-old movie that is keeping keeping it alive. You know, yeah. I mean, there are guys like us. I, at least I'm pretty sure none of us were around in 1971 when the film came out. You know, um, and yet I can just tell from talking to you know, we're all enamored by that gun. To tell you about
2: how screwed up my childhood was, when I heard that quote. This isn't that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There's (laughs) no couch. When I first heard that quote, I'm like, oh, that's from Taxi Driver. Because in Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro recreates the scene. (laughs) So I thought it was originally from Taxi Driver. And I'm like, oh, they're quoting Taxi Driver. (laughs) So I was introduced to Taxi Driver before. that's that's <laughs> funny also an
0: iconic movie yeah you,
3: you brought up a name a minute ago in john milius and you know mm-hmm. we talked about ian fleming maybe not being the most ballistically savvy writer john's on the other end of the spectrum mm. i mean if you look at some of the the movies that we consider gun movies throughout history you're probably seeing john's named like the original red dawn jeremiah johnson you know, magnum forest dirty harry um even like Flight of the Intruder, which I'm sorry, if you get to the scene with Willem Dafoe telling Sandy to drop the napalm in his position and you're not crying, I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with you. But, um, what'd you think? call it? Flight of the Intruder? Flight of the Intruder? You've never seen that one?
1: No.
3: Based on a Stephen King's book? Just write it down. No, never heard of it. <laughs> Willem <laughs> Dafoe's <laughs> best movie, hands down. If you disagree, throw
2: Better it in the than comments. Better than Platoon?
3: Yes.
0: Interesting.
2: Fire. Throw it in the yeah. comments if you disagree.
0: Because I would say <laughs> Willem Dafoe's best movie. It's got to be Boondock Saints. Mm. That's, that's up there. Yeah. A good one too. Let us know in the comments who's right, who's wrong, why, and tell us why we're all wrong yeah. because yeah. that's how comment sections work.
3: Probably my favorite part of John Milius as a writer, though, is he did crossover with one of the other great gun directors, and Michael Mann. He wrote an episode of Miami Vice that I just had to note because it's, the show title is "The Viking Bikers from Hell," which I don't remember that episode, but I got to go find it It'll because be how do you pass rock that title?
0: Ooh, that would be, you know, it sounds like Norwegian heavy metal, you well, know? You, you would definitely make the front, like a good <laughs> <Yes>. front man. <laughs> <coughs> all
1: right.
3: Oh, that would be funny. We talked about the great lie in the movie, though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do want to bring this up. We all know the iconic speech, because first of all, it's one of the best scenes in the first movie. They open Magnum Force with a voiceover doing it all. of The forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. Yep. Probably blow, blow your head clean off. What we learn in Magnum Force, though, is it's actually a little bit of a lie. Because Harry's not shooting a forty four Magnum through that. There's a scene where he's in a, a police combat competition with some younger recruits, and the one asks him what he shoots through it, and he admits that he shoots a light forty four special load because in that big heavy of a handgun, it controls the recoil better than the three fifty seven using wad cutters. So my whole childhood has been a lie because...
0: Well, but you know, but we talked about this, and, it, and and it's not so much a lie as it is a twist because the line is, you know, Smith and Wesson forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and that's true. He is shooting a Smith and Wesson forty-four Magnum in terms of the handgun. He didn't mm-hmm. say the most powerful cartridge in the world. So that's like uh, saying you're driving a Chevy Corvette, but you don't have any gas in the tank. <laughs> I mean, it's. <laughs>
3: I it's, 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 come
0: on i know but but you know it's interesting that you bring up the the comparison or you know or the, or the 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 44 special versus the 44 mag so again in my previous life at the nra museum one of the things we did as a fundraiser there um and we did it with a, a number of different guns but we did it with 30 harry's gun we ran i think it was 1300 rounds through the gun firing into cardboard boxes filled with shredded tires so that we could catch the bullets. And they kept all the fired bullets and the spent cartridge cases and then framed and mounted them and, you know, used them as auction fundraiser pieces. Um, But so I myself have personally run a few hundred rounds of 44 Special. Because God forbid if I had to sit there and shoot hundreds of rounds after round. I'm not saying I disagree with Harry. I I've shot both calibers. I'd rather,
3: especially oh, the absolutely. volume, especially the volume Harry Callahan seems to shoot. Right. I would shoot a 44 Special myself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But so, so you've got to fire the, the. So I have fired the Dirty Harry gun and bearing the lead here, man. I mean, <laughs> gosh, that should have been our, our lead into yeah. the episode. Uh,
1: like, you won't believe my tie to that gun. Yeah. Well, we wow. can always
0: refilm the beginning. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post we'll so, fix it in post we're too yeah lazy to do that yeah
2: <laughs> so i wanted to mention my two childhood guns like the guns that i remember being cool and kind of tied into this so the spaz 12 from jurassic park mm-hmm. and the lever action shotgun from terminator 2
0: mm-hmm. were
2: my two and that kind of ties in with the dirty hairy gun and kind of the ppk in that you get the sense And, you know, a lot of movies are like that, John Wick movies and stuff. You kind of get the sense that the more impractical the gun is, uh, the more memorable it'll be for the character. Right. And when you see that specific gun, that means that you will always associate it with that character, but also that the gun isn't that good of a gun. And and I was just going to say, is there... Is there, do you think, something about the fact that this would not be a normal carry gun for a cop that builds into the character development? Or do you think it's just the armor of the movie thinks it's cool, so I'm going to put it in?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think, especially with Dirty Harry, like I think that's exactly the gun dirty harry needs to be carrying right yeah. like for example let's use the two characters we've been talking about it would be weird as hell if dirty harry carried a ppk and if james bond carried a smith and wesson model 29 with an 8 and eighths inch barrel right yeah. you know so i i think it's it's you've got to find stuff that fits the caliber or his or the character. point his
1: point makes me think of rick grimes though from walking dead with the python it's yeah. like yeah. what a irrational gun to have in a zombie apocalypse when yeah. he had mm-hmm. it through the whole thing so specific, yeah, I'm,
3: specifically I'm, on dirty hair i think it's two things when you've got a gun nerd and john Milius who just looking for something crazy but the reason the dirty hair movies are so popular is the crime in the 70s was crazy and they wanted to emphasize that this character was doing everything to combat crime do whatever he had to do and if that meant having something that would shoot through four car blocks to get to the bad guy so be it
0: right yeah well I uh, I think we're running a little bit short on time, but I, I think that there's we've covered a lot of ground in here, um, but there is one last thing I want to do that I want to mention um, is that in a previous episode of the show, uh, Dan, you had mentioned from the, the latest John Wick about the takedown lever action oh, yeah, rifle, I forget about that, and that uh, and that we you know there was concern that it wasn't a real gun. Well. Mad Pig Customs that made that gun. Uh, Steve from Mad Pig actually called me and said, "Hey, I watched the show. He's like, and I wanted to let you know. Give, it,
2: is, is he going to give me one? He's Did like, he'll he make one for me. Well, he
0: says it's actually a real gun. They're all based off of real guns. But in order to get the whole takedown mechanism to work, um, that aspect of it, you know, is fantasy. In order to be able to do it like that, it's got yes. interrupted threads and everything. So, is it built on a real gun that he test fired and works? Absolutely. But is it something that could really go into Production and be safe, not so much. And
2: I knew it was a so. mad pigs. I know, you know, there's some takedown ARs where they have something that blocks the spring. So I'm like, maybe you could have like the magazine right. gets blocked by something, but Yeah. That's sad. I thought it was getting the mad pigs.
0: Yeah. So, so no, it, it it exists, yeah. but not quite the way we thought it was. So, but uh but I wanted to throw that out there. I told Steve that we we'd mention that. So, well, we're like I said, we're running a little on time, but if you guys have made it this far, appreciate you being here. If you made it this far, that means you're probably a subscriber to the podcast. If you're not, you need to be um, when you finish here so make sure you're subscribed make sure you're logging your time and go wild make sure you're going and trying to find either a ppk or a 29 on GunBroker, um, and then also leave us a review of the show on your preferred platform we would appreciate that um, so again gentlemen appreciate you sitting around the table with me appreciate you all for joining us and we will see you on the next episode of the no low ballers podcast